This morning when I got up, I started thinking about Dante's Divine Comedy in the Inferno, where Dante describes hell not as a place of fire and heat, but as a frozen tundra. And I thought, wow, that's a really apt description of hell. Well, we live in an age of sound bites and headline news. And right before Christmas, you couldn't miss the headlines blaring, Pope Francis allows blessing of same-sex couples. So I've had some parishioners reach out, feeling confused. And I thought I'd take this occasion on this Sunday to preach all the Masses to address this Vatican statement. Also want to encourage you to read Archbishop Nauman's column on this in the Leaven this weekend. Well, first, I want to just be abundantly clear that this Vatican statement did not change any doctrinal teaching on marriage between one man and one woman, nor does it change any of our doctrine on sexual morality. Archbishop noted in that in Fiducia Supplicans, the Vatican statement, it's clear that marriage is not possible for same-sex couples nor can the church give a liturgical blessing to a physical union that is contrary to the moral law. At our staff meeting this last week, Sister Lucia said, you know, we need to talk about the beauty and holiness and sacredness of our sexuality. And I said, well, Sister, it sounds like you want to give the homily, please. Now, she's um, so articulate and beautiful in her presentations, and she's doing these parent formation nights on the fourth Tuesday of the month. So the fourth Tuesday of February, Sister Lucia is going to be talking about theology of the body. So please go to that. But she has a point that when most people think of the Catholic Church and her teachings on sexual morality, they think of one word. No. No. It's a sin. When in actuality, the church affirms the goodness of our sexuality, that something sacred and holy, God made us as sexual beings, and that's something very good. And we always surround the sacred and holy with boundaries and laws. So the church actually says yes to love, yes to commitment, yes to covenant, yes to freedom, yes to life. The church's teaching on marriage and sexuality is really rooted in our understanding of authentic love. Now, in the English language, we only have one word for love. And so we say, well, I love the Chiefs. I love pizza. I love my wife. Well, hopefully there's something different between loving a pizza and loving your wife. Okay, a pizza may satiate a desire I have, but loving my spouse is this call to agape, self-sacrificing love. If we want to see the deepest meaning of love, we look to God because the Bible tells us God is love. And more concretely, we can study the life of Jesus because Jesus is God. God become man in the flesh. And so Jesus is love in the flesh, love incarnate. So when you think of the life of Jesus, what is the greatest act of love? His total self-gift, his death on the cross for you and me. The Bible says there's no greater love than this, than to lay down your life for another. So love is not first and foremost an emotion or feeling, but a decision 
an act of the will to give yourself totally for the good of others. So love is a free and total self-gift. Secondly, love unites. Love brings us into communion. Jesus has given his life for you and me. Now what does he want from us? He wants us to offer our lives back to him. And this mutual self-giving leads to communion. We see this right here at Mass. We're here at Mass to offer our lives to God. Through our worship, our thanksgiving, we lift up our hearts to the Lord. And God gives himself to us in the Holy Eucharist. And this mutual self-giving leads to Holy Communion. And you know what the fruit of communion is? Life. Jesus tells us, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood will live forever. We have eternal life. So this is the threefold movement of love. It's a free and total act of self-gift that leads to communion and commitment that's then life-giving and fruitful. Now, God instituted marriage as a sacrament, a visible sign of his love. And so a married couple is meant to mirror this threefold love that God shows us in the person of Jesus. And so it's no accident when a couple gets married in the Catholic Church that the priest asks them three questions. So if you're married, so hearken you back to your wedding day. The first question the priest asked was, have you come here freely, without reservation, to give yourselves to each other in marriage? Will you be a total self-gift to one another? And then the priest says, will you love and honor each other as husband and wife for the rest of your lives? Will you enter into that permanent covenant and communion of persons until death do you part? And then the priest says, will you accept children lovingly from God and bring them up according to the law of Christ in the church? Will you allow your love to be life-giving and fruitful through the procreation of children? Now, Pope John Paul, in his Theology of the Body, had this beautiful insight that sex is the language of the body that's meant to speak the truth of the wedding vows. Okay, think about this. At the heart of our faith is the incarnation, which means God became man. The way the Bible describes this is it says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so the Pope so beautifully had this insight that on the wedding day, a couple speaks their love with their words and then their words become flesh. And then through the gift of their sexuality, they speak their wedding vows with their bodies. So when a couple has marital relations, they're saying, I give myself totally to you. Their one flesh union is a sign of their covenant and commitment to one another that's then open to life and fruitfulness. This is the church's beautiful vision of sexuality, that God made us male and female so that marriage could be a visible image of God's love for us. A same-sex relationship, however, cannot fully image God's love. It is by nature sterile and not ordered toward procreation and life. And God didn't design two men or two women for a one-flesh union. Now, the catechism is very clear that we are to treat those with same-sex attraction with love and compassion and sensitivity, but it's a false charity 
to condone same-sex relations. See, this is a basic truth, whether we're heterosexual or homosexual. A life of sin can never make us happy. The only thing that will make us happy is to conform our lives to the way God made us and to his commands. See, this is why the church, in her love for us, gives us the sexual morality because the consequences of misusing our sexuality are so grave. It leads to feeling used and wounded and hurt. Why do we have over 2,500 abortions in America every day? It's because people didn't approach each other with the love that Christ intended when they had sex. It wasn't an act of self-gift. It wasn't an expression of commitment and communion and openness to life. It was about use and self-gratification. And then how many lives are destroyed because of that? How many women are very deeply hurt and scarred by abortion? Thanks be to God that Jesus can heal. How many people are left wounded when they've tried to give themselves physically in a relationship outside of marriage, and then there's a breakup because there was no covenant? How many people today are enslaved by the epidemic of pornography that, again, has nothing to do with self-gift and commitment and life, but it's about use and exploitation? We just had a two-night series here at St. Michael on sex trafficking. It is staggering to see how many people are living in bondage, treated as commodities to be bought and sold. This is why the virtue of chastity is so important for those married and single people alike. We have a good father who doesn't want us to be hurt and wounded and used and exploited and enslaved. He wants us to be free to love as he loves. Now, through this recent Vatican statement, Pope Francis is reminding us conversion doesn't come about by condemnation. So somebody's not going to come to conversion to the gospel and the Lord by wagging our finger at them or shaming them or condemning them. How is somebody converted? It's when they encounter love. This has to be our first movement. Remember some years ago, Pope Benedict decided he was going to release these encyclicals on the theological virtues, faith, hope, and love. And that's how we normally think of those in our minds, faith, hope, and love. But did you notice the sequence in which he issued those was not faith, hope, love, but love, hope, and faith. He reminds us we lead with love. We lead with a blessing. Every time we go to confession, what do we say? Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. We bless sinners all the time. We lead with a blessing. So love then inspires hope, which then brings us to faith. Now the truth is, this Vatican statement has caused confusion. Not so much that we're offering blessings to people, but this idea that we can bless a couple who are perhaps living in in a moral union. But at the same time, the statement says we should avoid giving scandal and we should avoid any semblance of blessing in a moral union. 
So this is the way Archbishop Nauman says we should interpret this. It's in the Levin. He says, what the church previously might describe as a brief, spontaneous intercessory prayer, asking the Holy Spirit to assist individuals seeking to conform their lives more perfectly to the gospel and the church's moral teaching, is now termed as a pastoral blessing. So we think of this as when people come to a priest sincerely desiring to change their lives and to conform their lives to the gospel, of course the priest meets them with a blessing. See, we never follow Jesus on our own terms. When we decide to follow Jesus, we conform our lives to him and the gospel. Archbishop Nauman goes on, no priest worthy of the title father would refuse to offer prayers for an individual or individuals who are sincerely seeking and asking for spiritual help in changing their lives in a way that conforms to God's will. You know, in that first reading, we heard the call of Samuel. And just like God called Samuel, Pope Francis is reminding us that no one is excluded from the call of the Lord. That God is calling us despite our weakness, our brokenness, our sin. But did you notice in the gospel, in the call of the apostles, they didn't follow Jesus from a distance, but they drew close to him. They moved in with him that afternoon and they began that process of conforming their lives to him and to the gospel. It's only by conforming our lives to Jesus and his commands that we will find authentic freedom and joy.